Amen, amen. And that is just so good to be reminded of who we are in Christ, that in Jesus we are spotless, we are blameless, we are declared righteous through the work of Jesus for us in the gospel. Uh, Today we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series in the book of Proverbs, the sermon series entitled Sanity. We want to take some time to walk through the book of Proverbs together and to see the the wisdom of God in a culture and in an age that has been very chaotic. As we live in a world that seems to have, has lost its mind, we need the wisdom of God that's found in the word of God. And so we've had a five-week sermon series. Uh, We had a two-week break for my family to quarantine. And so we'll be wrapping up the series today. And what I'd like for us to do is to go through our memory verses. And so Doug, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I'd like to pull up these different verses that we have been reading and memorizing together. The very first week, uh, we learned that uh, wisdom begins at the feet of Jesus. And so Would you read Proverbs 1, 7 with me? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so we learned about where wisdom begins with Jesus. He is the the wisdom of God. He is the greater King Solomon. We saw the next week that wisdom begins with humility. And let's read Proverbs 22 verse 4 together. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. Uh, The next week, we took some time to look at how wisdom has to do with truth-telling, that what comes out of our mouth matters. And we quoted uh, Proverbs um, Proverbs 12, verse 19. Can we do this one together? Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. We saw last week where we are to walk the straight path with Christ. And we memorized together Proverbs 4, verse 26. Let's say this together. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. And then the one for today, we're going to be unpacking today in Proverbs chapter 11, the wisdom of God that's found in living out the righteousness of Christ. And so the memory verse for this past week is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28. Let's say this together. There is life in the path of righteousness, but another path leads to death. So you see, it's significant that we grab hold of what righteousness truly is. The moment you believe the gospel, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you became positionally righteous. And I put this in your notes because it's essential. As your pastor, I want you to grab hold of this truth. There are far too many believers who do not have their their hearts and minds wrapped around the doctrine of justification. It matters that you know who you are in Christ. So the moment you believe the gospel, whether you were a six-year-old at vacation Bible school or a 12-year-old sitting down at your parents' table as they led you to Christ or as a teenager off at summer camp or as a college student who's at a dorm room and someone shared the gospel with you or maybe you were in uh, in the workplace in your mid-30s and someone shared Jesus and you believed, or maybe you're in your 40s and you pulled off to the side of the road and you realize, I need Jesus, and you gave your life to Christ, or maybe you're just in your 90s, you heard the gospel through the radio. The moment you believed the gospel, you became positionally righteous before God. 
This is a permanent standing that you have the moment you believe the gospel. When you trusted in Christ, God views you as just, as righteous. This is who you are. Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before you believed the gospel, before I believed the gospel, we were at war against God. Because of our sin, because of our evil heart and wicked ways, we were at war. James uses the word, we were at enmity with God. But then God sent his son, Jesus, who represents both God and man. He is the God man. He is the one who gave his life as a ransom. That through the death of Jesus, he came representing both God and man and gave his life so that we don't have to be at war with God anymore because of our sin, because Jesus dealt with that at the cross. And so now we are no longer through Jesus at war with God. We are now friends of God. To use Paul's words from Romans 5.1, we are at peace with God. You see, your righteous standing is a permanent standing. It's a position in which you are righteous before God, and it has an ongoing effect. You see, when you trust in Jesus, he changes everything about you. You are positionally righteous before God. Paul says in Romans 3 verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. When you believe the gospel, you became right with God. It's your permanent standing before him. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, 9, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based upon faith. All of this was accomplished for you through the cross. This is why Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Through faith in Jesus, you became righteous. You became just. We just sang this together. Blameless and holy in his sight. That is who you are. And it's essential that you grab hold of this. That as a follower of Jesus, you're not banking on your good works. You're banking your soul on the good works of Jesus of what he did for you through his death and through his resurrection. That's what we put our faith in. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. You see, to be made right with God, we do not look within. We look to Jesus by faith. If you do not know Jesus today, if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, stop looking at your good works. Stop trying to justify who you are and think that you are enough before God because you're not. In fact, the Bible tells us not to look at ourselves, but to look at Jesus. Look unto him who gave his life for you at the cross. Believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus, and he will not only forgive you of your sin and adopt you into his family, but he also declares you righteous when you believe the gospel. Now, there are many believers who do 
not come to this point in which they say, okay, I know who I am in Christ. Sometimes believers don't feel righteous. Whether it's because of sin that we have committed in our hearts or with our lips or with our lives. Whether it's accusations that the enemy lobs at us by saying who we used to be or how egregious and terrible our sins are. We don't feel righteous. But you see, the righteousness of Christ is not based upon feeling. It's based upon the work of Jesus for you. It is a legal standing that cannot be changed. John 10, no one can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. You are safe and secure in him. You are righteous and you are just in his sight. Now, Kenneth, why in the world are we talking about the doctrine of justification in a study on Proverbs? I mean, I think that's a good question. Uh, Kenneth, why are, well, that's something for Romans. That's something for Galatians. What, why, why in the world for Proverbs? Well, it's important because in just a moment, when we see in Proverbs 11, when we start reading about righteousness, I want us to make sure that we understand what kind of righteousness that Solomon is talking about. And it's essential that you grab hold of who you are because who you are leads to what you do. Let me say it again. Who you are leads to what you do. So you see yourself as positionally righteous. This is who you are. It then leads to part two. That in Christ, you are practically, you live out a practically righteous life. Okay, so we've gone from justification, believing the gospel, being made right with God through faith in Jesus. It's a permanent act by faith where Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. It's placed to your account when you trust in Jesus and it will never be taken away. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1. But now in Christ, this righteousness that you have received now overflows out into the rest of your life. It's called practical righteousness. The positional righteousness flows into the practical righteousness. Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore I, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, so what is the calling that we have received? What's the calling of the gospel? You were called to believe upon Jesus. Now that you have received the gospel, now that you have banked your soul upon Christ, you now go and live out a life that's worthy of that calling, worthy of the gospel. You go and live out the righteousness of Christ that you already have. John says it like this in 1 John 2, 6. He says, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You see, as followers of Jesus, we go and live out who we already are in Christ. And this is the challenge for you and I as we live in the South and everybody thinks they're a believer. Someone says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but their life looks nothing like Christ. Guess what? They don't know Jesus. Because positional righteousness flows into practical righteousness. You want to live for Jesus. You want to honor Jesus. Now, as we follow Christ together, nobody does it perfectly. 
We, we stumble our way forward, but a mark that you are in Christ is that you desire to Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we don't work out our salvation like we're trying to earn it. We don't say, oh my goodness, I just want God to like me, so I'm going to do good things. That's not how it works. God already loves you. He accepts you through his son, and now through him, you are compelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Christ. So this positional righteousness flows into a practical righteousness in which you walk out the gospel. You see, practical righteousness is living out who you already are in Christ. This is who you are. You have been adopted and chosen and declared holy in his sights through Jesus. And so now you just go and live it out. You don't obey to be accepted by God. In Christ, you're accepted. And so you want to obey. Do you see the difference? It matters that you grab hold of this. It's essential that you grab hold of the connection between your positional righteousness and how it flows into practical righteousness. Well, it's the second part. It's the practical righteousness that Solomon is addressing in Proverbs chapter 11. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. And some of you are thinking, that was quite the introduction. As you're turning there with me to Proverbs chapter 11, something um, that COVID has taken away from us is every fall for, man, good grief, the last seven or eight years as a faith family, we've gone to a park and we have had baptism at the creek in which we over the years have seen hundreds of people who have publicly declared their faith in Christ by getting baptized. Well, this year we couldn't do that, um, but by God's grace, we have water. Uh, and so if the Lord has saved you and you want to take that next step of obedience, uh, we want to invite you to get baptized. Uh, contact our church office. You can call or go to our website, gowestwood.org forward slash Jesus, and just let us know. And we would love to follow up with you. We'll hear your story about how you put your faith in Jesus. And then we'll set up a time for you to get baptized and to publicly declare what Christ has done. I love seeing baptismal water stirred. It's evidence of the grace of Jesus that he is still on the move, working in the hearts and lives of people. Throughout the, the month of September and then part of October, we have seen in the book of Proverbs the wisdom of God pointing us ultimately to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. But Solomon is teaching his son how to live skillfully how to know how to navigate this world. And so as you and I live in a culture that is peculiar and changing, and there's almost a point where we not only, our culture denies absolute truth, they don't even know what truth is anymore. How do we navigate this? How do you enter into difficult conversations, knowing what to say and how to say it? what to do and how to do it. Well, Proverbs is saturated with wisdom of how you and I can have wisdom of how to live out the gospel. And as we see here in Proverbs 11, Solomon is teaching his son about what it means to have an upright, godly, and righteous life. So we're about to see practical righteousness from the lips of Solomon. In Proverbs chapter 11, beginning with verse three, the scripture says this. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. 
Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. The righteousness of the blameless clears his path, but the wicked person will fall because of his wickedness. The righteousness of the upright rescues them, but the treacherous are trapped by their own desires. When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing, and hope placed in wealth vanishes. The righteous one is rescued from trouble. In his place, the wicked one goes in. With his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous are rescued. When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When the wicked die, there is joyful shouting. A city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. What we see here in the text is that as followers of Jesus, who are already righteous in God's sight, we, know, we now go live out the practical righteousness of Christ. Well, here Solomon is showing us how to live a righteous life and the principles that come along with it. Let me just show you three that we see here in the text. The first is that righteous living directs your steps. Righteous living directs your steps. Verse three, he says, the integrity of the upright guides them. He says again in verse five, the righteousness of the blameless clears his path. You see, this is the Lord's work where he directs your path as you trust in him, as you follow the Lord, as you're walking in wisdom, as you're obeying his commands, the Lord directs your steps and your righteousness goes before you. We see this in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Many of you have recited these two verses to me from memory in our conversations. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are to be men and women of integrity. We walk in righteousness. Our godliness, it guides our decision-making, but this is not so for the wicked. For those who reject Christ, those who do not believe the gospel, we see that ultimately their evil schemes lead them towards foolishness. Their, their life falls apart. You see, a person's own foolishness leads them astray. We see verse five. At verse three, it will destroy them. They will, they will fall because of their own wickedness. Remember in the book of Esther where Haman built gallows 75 feet high to destroy the life of his enemy Mordecai. And as he was a wicked man who sought to destroy this Jew, we see that God turned the tables and God made it, ordained it so that Haman was the one who was hung from the gallows that he built for someone else. You see, as the wicked fight and clamor and seek to build themselves up, but then walk according to their own path, other than the path of Christ, it leads ultimately to death. For followers of Jesus, we don't walk that path. We're to be a people who are marked by living out the righteousness of Christ. And as you follow Jesus, the path goes before you. 
Now we gotta grab hold of this reality is that when you decide to follow Christ and you walk in obedience to his commands, it does not mean your life is gonna be awesome. It's not a promise of health and wealth that when you follow Jesus, all of your dreams are gonna come true. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be prepared to suffer. You need to be prepared to have difficulty and adversity come your way. But the beauty of the gospel is that as you walk with Christ, his righteousness living out through you, God directs your steps, but also with the understanding that it's going to be difficult. You're going to be tried. You're going to face suffering and challenges as you go that path. For it was Joseph, a man of integrity, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was assumed dead by his father, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, forgotten while in prison. You see, Joseph's path to the throne of Egypt was paved by prison. And you think about who he is pointing to. Jesus, a man of perfect integrity, a man who never sinned, the God-man who was sinless in all of his ways, a man who was perfect in all of his thoughts, a man who always loved God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The path to the throne was paved through the cross and through the empty tomb. You see, if you're going to live a righteous life, be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to struggle. But as you walk in righteousness, your integrity will direct your steps. When you walk by the Spirit, your godly, righteous, and upright life with the Lord, it directs your steps to walk in wisdom. The second principle we see here in the text is that righteous living rescues you from deadly consequences. And it's interesting here how Solomon, in particular, is addressing money. Verse 4, wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. He goes on to say in verse seven, when the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing and hope placed in wealth vanishes. You see, as God prepared to bring a worldwide flood upon the earth, money could not save the wealthy. Don't miss that. We see in Genesis 7, 1, when the Lord told Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. We see a warning throughout the scriptures when you make wealth, you make money more important than the Lord. Ultimately, it leads to destruction. Jesus taught this in Matthew 19, in which he said, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's a play on words there in which Jesus in the original languages is using the word galma and gamla, the words for needle and camel, and it's a play on words. It's a, it's a hilarious joke that Jesus just told there. 
But then what we also is he's using uh, exaggeration. A needle, the eye of a needle, something very small. It's easier for a rich person to, for a, for a camel, a large land animal to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. And the disciples are like, well, then who in the world gets to heaven? Who can get into the kingdom? Because in their mind, those who are wealthy, that's where God shows his favor. Those who are wealthy must have God's blessing on their life. And so sure enough, they get to go to heaven. Why wouldn't they? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You see, those who are wealthy are trusting in their wealth and not in me. And before you and I start thinking of the millions of people who are more wealthy than us, let us be careful and remember that we are some of the wealthiest people in the world. Did you know that the average household income for the entire world is $10,000? That's the average. So if you make above that, you're filthy rich. Let us be careful. He who puts his hope in wealth, it will lead to destruction. And so let us not be a people who put our comfort and our hope in our 401k or what's in our bank account. Our hope is in Jesus. He is the one who will rescue us on the day of wrath. He is the one who will save us from the deadly consequences of sin. You see, those who love money more than Jesus will experience eternal regret on the last day. Sobering reality we see here in the text. You see, money can buy you anything in the world, but it cannot buy you salvation. In fact, it becomes a stumbling block to you depending your soul upon Jesus. I don't know, as a kid, I kept praying, God, give me millions of dollars. Anybody ever pray that? And the Lord graciously said, no. Because he knows my heart. He knows I'd put my hope in the money rather than in him. What about you? Is your hope in what you have or is your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Bank your soul upon him. We see here wisdom is found that as you live a righteous life, it rescues you from deadly consequences. And I, I notice here how verse 8 is translated. This is so good. Verse 8, the righteous person is rescued from trouble, and, uh, and this is so good, and it falls on the wicked instead. So the righteous person is rescued from trouble, the con deadly consequences of sin, but those who are wicked, it falls on them instead. It reminds me of Daniel, Daniel chapter six. Here's Daniel, godly man, living in a foreign land. In fact, next week, we're gonna start a new sermon series and we're gonna be looking at the book of Daniel uh, for next week and I can't wait to, to unpack that with you. But we see in Daniel 6 where Daniel's a, he's risen to the higher ranks of government in a pagan, ungodly nation. And the people around him who are ungodly, they don't like his position and they don't like his stance with the Lord. And so they create an edict in which if anybody prays to anyone other than the king, Darius, then they are, end up having to be killed. Well, Daniel does what he does every day. 
Three times a day, he goes to his room, opens the window, looks towards Jerusalem, hits a knee, and he starts praying. Well, he is found out. And what is the punishment? He's thrown into the lion's den. And while he's in the lion's den, the angel of the Lord shows up and shuts the mouths of the lions. And the next day, the king shows up, opens up the stone, says, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel says, oh, yes, he did. And the king says, get him out of there. And then we see all of his accusers are thrown into the pit where they die at the mouths of the lion. We see that with the wicked, it will turn against them. If not in this life, in the life to come. Those who do not look to the Lord Jesus Christ, a greater Daniel who comes out of a tomb where the enemies will eventually be sentenced to the death for those who reject in him. Let us be a people who walk with integrity, who walk in the righteousness of Christ. Let us be a people who follow Proverbs 28 verse 10, that the one who leads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit what is good. You see, those who seek to destroy, those who seek to harm God's people, it's going to come back against them. And who did that fall against but Satan himself? For when the moment he thought he had the Son of God right where he wanted him, on the cross, that was the very means through which God turned it around against Satan. And it is through the cross and through the empty tomb that God made a way that the wicked will stumble and fall and fall into a pit eternally without Christ. Satan thought he had him exactly where he wanted him. And what did God do? He turned it around against him. So let us be a people who walk in integrity. Let us be a people who walk in righteousness for the Lord will fight our battles. He will go before us and he very well may turn things around against those who seek to do us harm. The third principle that we see here in the text is that righteous living blesses the nations and your neighbors. It blesses the nations and your neighbors. As you live out the righteousness of Christ that you already possess, it leads to the prosperity of others. Look at verse 10. Solomon says, when the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When the wicked die, there is joyful shouting. Verse 11, a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. You see, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be a people who bring blessing to those around us. We work for the good of the city. That we indeed are exiles, we are foreigners in a strange land, and just as Israel was sent into Babylon, we are a people who are not home, we're living in Babylon, in a nation full of pagan gods, and this is an opportunity for us to shine as we walk in wisdom and we labor for the good of our neighbor. We work to serve those around us. We want to see our cities flourish. 
we see the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. He says when, when, when uh, Israel is, I'm sorry, when Judah is sent off into Babylon, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for when it thrives, you will thrive. And so as followers of Jesus, as part of the great commission mandate, we labor for the good of the city. We work so that our neighbors who don't know Jesus, we want to see them prosper. We labor as God is sending his people into a pagan nation. He says, work for the good of the city. Build your families, make vineyards, be a blessing to those around you. Westwood, how can you get involved on meeting the needs of those around you? What city do you live in? And how can you be a blessing to your city? What, what if we as a faith family made it our mission to say, you know what, on our watch, we're not going to see another hungry kid in our community. Right now, we have life groups who every week they gather food and it is sent into local schools so that kids on the weekends who don't have access to the foods at school, they have food at home. Love it. This couple weeks ago, we had a hospital in Birmingham who was out of blankets. Imagine that. And they had heard about our care for the poor. And so they called our church office and said, we need 50 blankets. And we said, we'll take care of it. And so we raised up a bunch of people. We got the blankets together. Well, the person who delivers our mail here throughout the week heard the phone conversation and said, I want to help out. And so this person brought 600 pairs of socks for us to go and take and be a blessing to the city. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. We work for the good of the city. We labor to care for those around us so that they may prosper. Currently, there are 6,000 kids in foster care in the state of Alabama. There are 3,000 Southern Baptist churches in Alabama. Do the math. Every church said, hey, we're going to take at least two kids that we're going to put into families who are going to love and care for them. Don't look now, but we just emptied the, emptied the foster care system. We are to be a people who go into the community and we would be a blessing to the city. We work for the good of our neighbor. We labor so that those around us might be blessed. What does that look like for you? What are the needs that you see in your local school, in your neighborhood, in your city? If you don't know, go talk to the people in charge. A couple of months ago, I went and sat down with a mayor of a city here locally, and I just said, what do you need and how can Westwood solve it? And this person said, our first responders are exhausted. They are doing so much work and they need care. We mobilize life groups to go in and start caring for police and firefighters and EMTs. And this mayor also told me, we got a lot of hurting families in our community. And I said, listen, we're here and we love our city and we're gonna work for the good of our city. So what does that look like for you as a family? How can you meet the needs of those around you? What do you need to put at the top of your prayer list saying, our family, we're going to own this problem and we're going to be a part of the solution. We're going to make sure that we're going to meet this need. And this is what we do as a faith family. That's what we see right here in the text. 
is that we see when the, the righteous thrive, verse 10, a city rejoices. A city is built up, verse 11, by the blessing of the upright. That's us. We are those who are positionally righteous. And so now we go and practically live out the righteousness of Christ by being a blessing to those around us. So what does this look like, Kenneth? What's your impact point? It's this. Let's be a people who display God's wisdom by living out the righteousness of Christ in you. I mean, think about it. As you live a godly life before a watching world, the Lord uses your life and then God brings people to himself. There was a, a girl at college who was a freshman, moved into her sophomore year, and hadn't really encountered very many authentic followers of Jesus. But there were two. And at this college campus, these two young men shined the righteousness of Christ and she watched they invited her to come to a campus gathering where the gospel would be preached and she went and the seeds of the gospel were being planted deep into her heart and as she listened the Holy Spirit began working weeks later on her 19th birthday, she got on her knees and gave her life to Christ. That woman is my wife. Because two young men lived out the righteousness of Christ before a watching world. That's the power of the gospel. You are righteous in Christ, it's permanent. It's who you are. It's sealed by Jesus. And now, let's go live that out.